0: So how many of you have been watching the Olympics? I've been diligently rooting for my favorite country, which happens to be Canada. Um, A close second is Norway. And I have to say, I was uh, very impressed with the Norwegian fellow who powered through the triathlon in the impressive heat to take the gold medal. I mean, his whole country is just, he's a hero, a national hero. I don't know what kind of celebration they'll have when he goes back commentators are talking about stories of greatness, talking about come-from-behind stories where people, you know, never thought they'd make it, or maybe they had a, an injury, and they had to recover from the injury, uh, get back on track, and finally they end up on the podium receiving a medal. It's just, it's, it's fascinating to watch people's lives. And the truth is, whether you get a medal or not, if you get to the Olympics, you have achieved greatness doesn't matter, medal or not. And some people, it's, they're not even aiming for medals at this Olympics. They're aiming for medals in two Olympics away. This is just the practice for when they eventually achieve the, what their, their goals are. So let me just uh, ask you a question. Do you know what a goat is? I mean, not this thing, but the, the goat of greatest of all time. Uh, there's these, um, you know cups that people like. Stanley Cup, World Cup, Grey Cup, Africa Cup, Continental Cup, the the Triple Crown. How many of you know what the WCC is? World Chess Championship. Yes, of course. I know. you was just on the tip of your tongue. Uh, And every year we see these competitions of people who want to be the greatest. The greatest. So if you get one of these cups, it just proves that you are greater than everyone else, I guess. At least for that year until someone breaks your record the next year. Well, there's lots of heroes and athletes. Um, They're they're among the ordinary. I I admit, I feel a little, just a little bit guilty, sitting on my couch, uh, drinking my Coke Zero, and watching all these amazing athletes competing, you know, against the world's best. Uh, But there's other, there's other areas of greatness. Um, For the non-elite athletes, there are ways to achieve greatness. Diplomats who broker world peace. I mean, really, that's a feat of greatness. Uh, Nelson Mandela, Wilbur Willier, Wilberforce, Jimmy Carter, Abraham Lincoln, Winston Churchill, these people led their countries during times of crisis and are considered great people. Go to the next slide. Scientists who discover cures for deadly diseases, I mean, they're extending people's lives. They're causing people not to die because they provide, you know, I think it's uh, the anniversary of penicillin has come this year. It's amazing what has happened because of someone who who's hung in there and did the research and has impacted the world because of what they did. Some musicians, um, performers whose songs have endured the test of time are considered great among their peers. Nobel Prizes, all these kinds of things you can achieve for greatness. Um, by the way, do you know how many people... I did. You, know, you can do a quick internet search, but how many people do you think have been called the great one Who comes to mind right away? Gretzky, Gretzky, of course. Muhammad Ali, Michael Jordan. Uh, These kind of people are called the Great One. I counted 10 different people have been called the Great One. Um, But, of course, today's Great Ones don't compare to the Great Ones of the past. (laughs) Alexander the Great, um, Catherine the Great, Empress of Russia, Knut the Great, King of England, Denmark, and Norway, even Herod the Great, I mean, these people were considered great through history for what they accomplished. Some accomplished wonderful things for humanity and others not so much. William Shakespeare said, some people uh, are born great, some achieve greatness, and others have greatness thrust upon them. So let me, let me just ask you a question. Um, if you had to choose between being destined for greatness or destined for success, which one would you choose? I think they're not the same. Uh, Success is largely about achieving your own personal goals. Greatness is largely about the impact you have on other people's lives. Whether You know, there's tons of successful, wealthy people that are not considered great. And there's tons of great people who were never wealthy. But they achieved influence in their day. So if you could be great at one thing, what would it be? If you could choose to be great, consider great for one thing, a great scientist, a great athlete, maybe a politician, a teacher, a coach, a cook, an author, a great dancer, what would you want to be known for? See, the Apostle Paul... He was searching for greatness. He was well on the track for achieving a huge amount of influence. He was seen as the up-and-coming rising star amongst the religious leaders of his day. And he was chasing after this greatness. The only problem was that he was chasing after the wrong things. He was off track. His desire, I mean, he had all the qualities of, the, of, of what great people have. Uh, he was passionate. He was well-educated. He... Uh, he was committed. He was well-connected amongst the leaders of his day. And I believe that the people saw something in him that was going to be very fascinating uh, in terms of influence in, amongst uh, his generation. But he was, he was going in the wrong direction. And he didn't know that until he met Jesus. On the road to Damascus, Jesus came to him and said, Saul if you have the, the black translation is, you're going in the wrong direction. I appreciate your passion, but we've got to make a few changes here. In other words, the word for repentance is, is a complete about-face, a turnaround. And this encounter with Jesus caused Paul to completely turn around from persecuting Christians, persecuting the church, to planting churches and encouraging Christians. See, his idea of greatness immediately changed. He... He was uh, an impressive person. In fact, in chapter 3 of Philippians that we're looking at today, he talks about his achievements, uh, what set him apart from everyone else. He says, others can brag about themselves, but I even have more reason to brag than anyone else. I was circumcised when I was eight days old, which was the custom. I am from the nation of Israel and the tribe of Benjamin, which was impressive. I am a true Hebrew, and as a Pharisee, I strictly obeyed the law of Moses. And I was so eager that I even made trouble for the church. I did everything the law demands in order to please God. He said, I did everything right. I was, <laughs> if he wasn't so humble, he probably could have said, I was perfect. I was the example of perfection. You could have looked at me and found no fault at all. But he was chasing after the wrong kind of greatness. He followed all the rules. He was perfectly uh, doing everything according to religious laws. But there came a point when he realized his greatness that he was chasing was an illusion. It was fake. It was flawed. So on the road to Damascus, he was physically blinded, but he was spiritually sighted. And he looked over his life, and he realized that all these things he just talked about were worthless. It meant nothing. Like they weren't getting him where he needed. His heart wasn't satisfied. The whole concept of looking back over the life for him and, and seeing that I just wasted 30 years of my life chasing after the wrong stuff. And so in that moment when he turned around, he began to go in a completely new direction. He could say, as we read in the beginning of the book of Philippians 121, for me to live is what? Is Christ. And to die is... Gain, he says, I can't lose. (laughs) If I live or die, I live for Christ. And if I die, I gain the eternal life God has promised me. So he starts off chapter 3 of Philippians, verse 1. He says, finally, brothers, he's kind of like saying, in conclusion, rejoice in the Lord. And I've, you know, I I actually had an epiphany this week. I've always read that as, you know, in hard times and in good times, rejoice. And in suffering and blessing, rejoice. But it doesn't actually say that. It says rejoice in the Lord. Let's try that again. Rejoice in the Lord. In, the Lord. in, in spite of the circumstances, in spite of we, one of our young adults had a car accident this week, the car was totaled, and he, was, he, was, he wasn't damaged physically, but the shock sets in. You know, even in, as you're sitting on the side of the road, and I have, and you see your car there with the steam coming out of the engine compartment, and you know it's not coming home, you're sitting there, you can still say, God, I can rejoice in you. Because you, you just saved me, you took care of me. You got a plan for my life. We rejoice in the Lord, not in the circumstances so much, not not in the blessings or the, the trials, but in the Lord you can rejoice any time. Paul and Silas in prison, what were they doing at midnight? Singing, singing praise songs. Not because they were we get to suffer for Jesus, but you know what? We can rejoice in the Lord regardless of our circumstances. Then he says, I, I'm, I'm writing to you the same things. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me. And it's safe for you. In other words, I need to repeat a few things. I need you to hear this again because it's so important. And he goes on to verse 2. Look out for the dogs. Interesting choice of words. The Jews considered dogs to be um, worthless. Or, um, and they considered actually Gentiles. That all the non-Jews, to be, they called them dogs as well. It's kind of like um, other... Um, religions who think that we are kind of abominations if we don't follow them. Same kind of concept, but Paul is referring here to false teachers caught up in legalism, religious traditions who are robbing people of the joy. These people were causing the church a lot of problems. They were zooming in um, to the church and, and, and trying to convince people that they needed to follow uh, ritualistic circumcision. All the, in other words, you got to become a Jew before you can become a Christian. And Paul's saying, watch out, they're, they're like dogs, they're like scavengers. And he, he, can, he continues, look out for the evildoers, might refer to those who used to attend the church but turned their back and walked away. Also look out for those who mutilate the flesh. He's talking about this ritualistic circumcision. that some of these people thought you had to become true to the Old Testament laws in order to be acceptable to God. And Paul's saying, no. It's the whole point. That's why Christ came. He, he fulfilled the law, and we have a new covenant. We're going to be celebrating the Lord's Supper. And in the, when it t- comes time to, to use the cup, it says, this is my blood. It's a new covenant. The old has, has passed. It's a new opportunity now to relate to God in a whole new way. In Colossians chapter 3, 11, he says, there is no Greek and Jew. There is no circumcised or uncircumcised, there's no barbarian or Scythian or slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, put on compassionate hearts and kindness and humility and meekness and patience. Bearing with one another and as anyone has a complaint against someone else, forgive them as the Lord has forgiven you, you must also forgive Christ in us makes a difference in how we relate to others, how we treat others, how we, how we reply to others. If we come off as harsh and rebuking and critical and, and in your face, Paul's saying, stop it. That's not who we are. Christ is in you. Forgive others. You know, be humble. Be kind. Be gentle. That's how you prove that Christ is in you. It's not about keeping religious tradition or keeping the rules. God's looking at our heart if we can't demonstrate love, we can't really claim to be Christian. Because God is love. If he's in us, we need to reflect his heart. So he says, actually, in verse 3, we are the circumcision. We are the ones who have been transformed. We've been changed, but not from the outside in, from the inside out. It's like all of us now, not just part of us uh, fits the bill, it's not being transformed through bodily medical procedures that makes you acceptable to God. It's the renovation of your heart and soul and mind inside that matters. In verse 7, he continues, Whatever I had gained, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. And for his sake, I've suffered the loss of everything. I count it as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Jesus and the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And then he concludes, well, I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and I want to share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that I may, if possible, may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul is a smart man. Uh, He was well-educated. He was well-respected. He was well-feared as well. And he was smart enough to know that all he had been chasing before paled in comparison to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus. Can you say that with me? The surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus? Just one more time, because I like, like to do this repetitive. The surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, because that's the theme in the service today. There's nothing worth chasing more than the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus. Why? Because in Christ, Paul found truth. He found salvation. He found the resurrection and power of everlasting life. He, he knew the way in Christ. He had victory that overcomes the world. He gives peace to us. He gives hope to us. He gives rivers of living water. These are all found in Christ. And, and Paul started to understand Day after day after day, the more he became closer to Jesus, he realized how much Christ had to offer. Sadly, many Christians today have abandoned their search for the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus. They're chasing after other things. There's there's, uh, chasing after the recognition of people. Chasing after more entertainment. Chasing after popularity or notoriety or influence. I've been in a lot of churches in my day in a lot of countries, and I'm always looking to see if Christ is in the center. I flip through the bulletins and the programs and look to see if all the activities they're doing, and I'm looking to see where they are stepping out in faith, where they're chasing after Christ, where they are going deeper in the relationship with Jesus. And sometimes it's just sadly kind of absent in their programming. They want to entertain and, and um, have, you know, all those kinds of things, but they're not knowing Christ. In fact, I've been in Bible studies where they didn't talk about the Bible. I'm going, well, like, how does that work? What are we studying? What are we chasing after? What are we looking for if not centered on Jesus himself? What's the whole point? We're called Christians. Something with Jesus in, in the Word makes me think that Jesus has to be the center. You know, today the ramparts are being raised up against the church by the powers of darkness, and the enemy has designs to tear down the church. It seems like the the pressures on the church and and trying to trivialize the church, trying to sideline the church, trying to uh, explain away all of the things that we believe, it's it's, it's more pressure now than ever before. We are, you know what they mean by post-Christian society. That means that Nobody is interested so much in Christ anymore. used to be. A couple of generations ago, you'd go to church. Now, I've known kids that have never been inside of a church. I remember I had some kids from the community in my church one time, and the organist, when we had organs, was practicing for Sunday. And the person says, what, do you got a hockey game going on in here? (laughs) That's the only time he'd ever heard been inside a church building, and it's... It's just true. We're not a Christian society anymore, and Paul is telling us that we have to be careful that if we get off track of having the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus, then all is lost. We're chasing after the wrong dreams. It doesn't matter what your view of revelation is. It doesn't matter about your doctrine or predestination or free will or whether you baptize by immersing, dipping, plunging, sprinkling, or pouring, or whether you're an Episcopal congregation or ma- or a uh, congregational model, if, if you don't have the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus, nothing else matters. You're just doing religious ritual, religious activity. We're just being busy uh, on Sundays and throughout the week with activities. But if it's not centered on the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus, you're just following rules. Don't dance. Don't drink. Don't swear. Don't use cars. Don't go to movies. Like all these don'ts is what I grew up with. But did they ever help me know Jesus? Did they ever bring me before the throne of grace, to, to repent, to know what it means to have the power of God's spirit in me? No. But I could follow rules pretty good most of the time. There were some slips. You know, Malcolm Gladwell wrote this book about outliers, a story of success, and how he said, "All the greatest people over time, have spent at least how many hours? 10,000 hours of rehearsing, practicing their craft until they became great at it. Rehearsals and performances and practices and coaching. He says there's a cost to achieving success, but if you are willing to pay the price, it's achievable. So my challenge today is if you want to pursue greatness, you must pursue Christ at all costs. Kind of like this idea of the, the, the the merchant who found this amazing pearl, called a pearl of great price, because to buy it he had to sell everything he had. He sold all of his possessions in order just to buy this one gem. And that's what Paul is saying. Everything I had? I mean I just gave it up because there is something worth so much more to me. Finally, I found what I was looking for. I found my heart's desire. I found it was in Jesus. It wasn't in all the other stuff I've been chasing. I want to know his his power and his greatness. There's this quote. Forgive me. It's not uh, scriptural, but I'm going to use it. So a Disney movie, 2002. How many of you saw Treasure Planet? Not many, and that's the problem. It's a bit of a flop. But (laughs) there was... A, a quote that I still remember to this day, because it, it hit me. The old, uh, the old grizzled pirate John Silver says to Jim Hawkins, this young waif of a kid, and uh, kind of took him under his wing, and he says, Now you listen to me, James Hawkins. I won't do my pirate accent, if that's okay. <laughs> I almost tried, but I won't. You got the makings of greatness in you. But you got to take the helm and chart your own course. Stick to it no matter the squalls. And when the time comes, you'll get the chance to really test the cut of your sails and show what you're made of. And, well, I hope I'm there catching some of the light coming off of you in that day. But that phrase, you got the makings of greatness in you. It just it stuck with me. 20, 20 years ago, I heard that. Paul says, I want to know him. And I want to know the power of his resurrection. I may share in his sufferings. I want to become like him in his death. And I want, by any means possible, to attain the resurrection of the dead. The the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus, it always brings power. What I'm saying to you today is that when you have Jesus in you, you have the makings of greatness in you. It's not what the world has to offer. In fact, we're going to be looking at the Lord's Supper in just a minute. And around that Lord's Supper table, there was a lot of different views of greatness. You had James and John who said, I want to be on your right and left, Jesus. I want positions of recognition and power. You had Judas there who was saying, I need a little bit of cash. I'm a little short. I wouldn't mind having some more money. And you had Jesus who was about to give up his life on a cross. Which one lasted? Which one impacted eternity? The makings of greatness is in us. Every believer, when you accepted Jesus Christ into your life, you brought in the potential for greatness. Not as the world gives, but as Christ does. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You've got the makings of greatness in you. And Jesus wants to help that come out as he he uses you and molds and shapes you to be an influencer in your area. We will suffer, but we will overcome. We will get knocked down, but we'll stand up again. We will come to the end of our strength and be exhausted in the fight, and that's when the Holy Spirit takes over and does his part. And we get the victory because Jesus is in us, working through us, showing us how how valuable we are to him and how powerful he is through us. We already have the victory through Jesus and we will see it all in glory as we attain the resurrection of the dead, as Paul is saying. I believe in Jesus. I believe that he died. I believe he rose again. And I believe he's coming back. A.B. Simpson, the founder of Christian Missionary Alliance Church, he says this, God is preparing his heroes. And when the opportunity comes, he can fit them into his places, into their places in a moment, and the world will wonder where they came from. Let me read that again. God is preparing his heroes. And when the opportunity comes, he can fit them into their places in a moment, and the world will wonder where they came from.